today. Um, I want to thank you for your prayers this week, not only for myself and my family, but also for this church and uh, the fasting that's been happening this week. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I believe that God has something great in store for this church. And uh, as I said last week, the Bible tells us in Corinthians that some have planted, some water, and some will reap the harvest that God's going to bring. And, uh, and as, as we talked to you last week, we believe that God is sending someone to fill this pulpit. And, uh, and we will have someone here next Sunday to preach to you. And uh, we don't want you to miss out on that service. Please do everything you can to be here. Put it in your phone. I mean, you should be here anyway. But if you have to set a reminder, put it in your phones, write it on your calendars, do something, be here next Sunday. And, uh, and if you see someone who's not here today, reach out to them. Let them know that uh, our potential uh, or, or a, a gentleman who's going to be, um, who will be considered for the next pastor will be preaching here next Sunday. Uh, and then Sunday evening, we will have an open house uh, for all of you to come and meet him. That will be at, uh, I, I believe, 4 o'clock from 4 to 6. Um, we'll do that out in the foyer. And, uh, and so we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be in the know of what's happening. And so uh, be here next Sunday. All right. I can hear the hearty amen from it. Amen. Be here next Sunday. Um, but also be continuing to pray this week. As Eric said, continue to pray and fast this week. I've called our board into a season of fasting. Um, now we're not fasting every day. But we are taking different times throughout the days and throughout the weeks that we're fasting and believing for God to do a work and for God to send who he wants here. And, uh, and so I'm asking you to fast with us. And I know some of you, you can't fast a, a dietary because of medication, things like that. Fast something uh, that, that you just, it's something a part of your life every day. Uh, whether it be social media, television, news, whatever it is, fast on something and uh, some of you, it may be coffee. Now, I knew I wasn't going to get an amen there. But I tell you, if, that's, if that has such a hold on your life, maybe you should fast it. But fast something this week and, uh, and be in prayer for our church board, for this church. And uh, I, again, encourage you to be here tomorrow night for prayer if you're able to, um, to be here. But I believe God has something great in store for this church. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. And I believe his word to be true. Everything's going to be all right as long as God is at the forefront of our lives. Amen, amen. I want to, uh, I want to take you today, I'm going to take you to a couple verses of, well, quite a few verses of scripture. Um, but I was, I was kind of doing some things this week and uh, something came across the, the television when I was sitting at work and and uh, some political things, and I'm not going to preach politics. I've never preached politics from, from this pulpit. I don't believe that politics should ever be preached from the pulpit. Uh, but I, I saw some things this week, and it just concerned me, um, as, as it does many people. And, and I don't know why it would be any surprise, because it's what politics is. You have a politician that says he wants to do one thing, but then he does another he believes in this, but his actions don't show it. And, uh, and, and so there's a term for these types of people. And the term originated in 1884 during the presidential election. And the term is called a mugwump. 
Has anybody ever heard of the term mugwump? That's about what I thought. Mugwumps, and I think we have the, the picture from the original news article that was drawn during that election. And it said, the great American mugwump. A mugwump is somebody that sits on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. Now, I will let you figure out in your own imagination which part of the bird is the mug and which part of the bird is the wump. But I think it speaks pretty clearly of which is which. And so what this is and what how this came to be was that there were Republicans at the time who supported the Democratic candidate named Grover Cleveland. And so this term is meant to be used as a politician who could not make up their mind on an important issue or who refused to take a stand when they were expected to do so. They were fence sitters. Their mugs on one side and their wumps on the other side. And unfortunately, as I, as I thought about that this week, I then got onto Facebook and I started scrolling through Facebook and I saw that there are a lot of mugwumps within the church who sit with their wumps in the church but their mugs are in the world. And it broke my heart. It breaks my heart to see people who sit in the church who say that they're Christian but their face is looked towards something else. Their heart is set towards something else. And Jesus clearly spoke the words in Matthew and he said, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be loyal to one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve God in money. This, is, this was specifically who he was talking about. But he goes on a couple chapters later and he says, He who is not with me is against me. Jesus spoke those words. And so I, I, I thought, you know, I, I don't want to just leave it with that. I, I want to go back to the Old Testament. When Moses was speaking to the children of Israel, when God spoke to Moses. And the children of Israel were, they, they were going one way and they said they believed one, but they were headed another. And, and God spoke to, to, to Moses in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you stay seated because I'm going to read the whole chapter here. He said, when all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses that I have listed, you want to know what the blessings and the curses are? You can go back and read them on your own time. <laughs> Book of Deuteronomy. He said, you will meditate upon them as you are living among the nations where the Lord your God will have driven you. If you at that time want to return to the Lord your God and you and your children have begun wholeheartedly to obey all of the commandments that I have given you, then the Lord your God will rescue you from captivity. He will have mercy upon you and come and gather you out of all the nations where he has scattered you. And though you are at the ends of the earth, he will go and find you and bring you back again to the land of your ancestors. You shall possess the land again and he will do you good and bless you even more than he did your ancestors. He will cleanse your hearts and the hearts of your children and your children's children so that you will love the Lord your God with all your hearts and souls and Israel shall come alive again. He said, if you return to the Lord and obey the commandments that I have commanded you, the Lord your God will take his curses and turn them against your enemies. 
against those who hate you and persecute you. The Lord your God will prosper everything that you do and give you many children and much cattle and wonderful crops. For the Lord will again rejoice over you as he did over your fathers. He will rejoice if you obey the commandments written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your hearts and souls. Obeying these commandments is not something beyond your strength and reach. For these laws are not in, far the, he- are not in the far heavens that are so distant you can't hear or obey them. And with no one to bring them down to you. They're not beyond the ocean so far that no one can bring you their message. But they are very close at hand. They're in your hearts. They're on your lips. So obey them. He said, look, today I have set before you life and death. Depending on whether you obey or disobey. I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to follow his path. And to keep his laws so that you will live and become a great nation. And so that the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are about to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you won't listen, and if you are drawn away to worship other gods, then I declare to you this day that you shall surely perish. You will not have a long good life in the land that you are going to possess. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that today I have set before you life or death, blessings or curses. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your children might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and to cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. You will then be able to live safely in the land the Lord promised your ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to preach to you today, don't be a mugwump. Don't be a mugwump. Verse 15 says that I have set before you life and death, good and evil. We have to make a choice. In our daily living, we have to make a choice. Are we going to be good or are we going to be evil? Are we going to love the Lord or are we going to love the world? We have got to make a choice. Choices sometimes can be hard to make. During this time uh, 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 that this story or this term was created, there was a, another. There was a, 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 there's another story about a woman named Martha Watson. She was a young school teacher in Georgia, and she had a choice to make. One day, she met a young businessman named Andrew Hill. Andrew was from Maine, and now this meeting between the two young people happened uh, during this time. Andrew had fought in the Civil War while two of Martha's brothers had been killed in the Civil War. The plantation where she lived had been devastated by the invading Union Army during Sherman's march to the sea, and it had taken a lot of hard work to restore this plantation. Martha and Andrew's acquaintance grew into a friendship. Their friendship grew into love. Finally, they wanted to get married. Martha was 25 years old, and she was old enough to make her own choices, because, you know, she, she was over 18, right? That's what every teenager says, I'm 18, I'm an adult, I can make my own choices. Fine, go pay your own cell phone bill. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I'm just thinking ahead, you know. She wanted her father's approval, though, for marriage. But her father was against the marriage. He thought she ought to remain single. And had no desire to have a son-in-law. And all the fathers of daughters say amen. 
No? Okay, I'm the only one? My daughter's going to be single her whole life? Okay, all right. He didn't want a son-in-law. And, and, and even beyond that, he didn't want a Yankee for a, southern, for a son-in-law. Martha had an idea. She made an arrangement with her fiancé to visit the plantation. She hoped her father would change his mind after meeting her fiancé. But the father said, I will not allow that Yankee to enter into my house. And Martha was then confronted with a choice. Would she give up her marriage to please her father? Or would she marry the man that she loved? Now in our Bible text today, God sets forth a choice for us. Life or death. Blessings or curses. And God has given us the freedom to choose. Nevertheless, God wants us to choose life. He even tells us exactly how to choose life. He lays it right out there in, in, in his book. This is your roadmap to choose life. This is your roadmap to heaven. I want to go through some things today on how we can choose life. Number one, we choose life by loving God. He tells us in verse 20 here of, of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30 that you may love the Lord your God. The Hebrew word for love means to have affection for, to have our hearts with God. The same Hebrew word describes the kind of love that Isaac had for Rebekah in Genesis chapter 24. Isaac brought her into her mother's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. It's the love that a man should have for his wife. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what may come against us, I will always love you. That is what God is telling you. That is how a husband and wife should be. Isaac had this love for his wife. It's the love that Isaac had for his son Esau. In verse 20, 28 of chapter 25, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. He was a hunter. He was the man's man. Rebecca had a love for her son Jacob. Rebecca loved Jacob. It's the kind of love that prefers one above another. It's the kind of love that loves sweet tea over unsweet tea. Homemade sweet tea over McDonald's sweet tea. Am I talking anybody's language yet? Fried chicken over grilled chicken. Right? Big Mac over double cheeseburger. Okay, these, it's kind of, I'm, okay, I'm trying to connect there with y'all. Stay with me here today, y'all. It's a love that shows devotion towards the beloved. Loving God is showing absolute favoritism towards God above anyone or anything else. Serving Him must be the absolute authority in our lives. It's an action. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. But first John tells us that if we love the world, we will perish with it. John said, and this world is fading away. And these evil, forbidden things, it's going to go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. If you're in love with the world, you're going to perish with the world. But if you love God and you keep doing the will of God, you will live forever. Hebrews tells us if we love evil, it will destroy us. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. 
a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. If we love material things, they will fell us. Proverbs says, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. But if we love God with all of our hearts, we love His promises, we love His mercies, they become ours to possess. So what is it that we love most? What is it that, that is in our life that takes top priority over God? For Martha Watson, she loved her father, but she loved her fiancé. Which love should she choose? Who will prevail? You see, in our own lives, there's conflicting affections. Now, in here in Dwajak, when you go to eat somewhere and you're in a hurry, there's not a lot of choices. You basically have three choices. Burger King, McDonald's, Taco Bell. And when you are in a vehicle full of five people who like all of those differently, the choice can get very difficult. And some days, just to keep everybody happy because we don't feel like fighting, we go to all three places. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Have you, have you been there? Some of you are going, nope, it's my pick and that's my way, the highway. They can walk if they want, you know. Okay, okay, I got two of you shaking heads, yes, okay. See me in my office after church and teach me, okay, all right. But in life, we don't have that option to say, you know what, I want a little bit of sin, but I also want a little bit of God's promises. I want a little bit of, 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 of loving the world, but I want a little bit of life too. I want a taste of what the world feels like, but I also want a taste of heaven, and I want to go to heaven. You see, it doesn't work this way, ladies and gentlemen. You see, just as, just as the father of Martha Watson tried to destroy that love, the devil will try to destroy your relationship with God. Every single day we face a test of love. Bible app, TikTok. Facebook, Facebook. Instapray, Instagram. What are you doing? Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad. They can be edifying. I don't know how, but I'm sure they probably can. But when we spend more time in our social media than we do with God, there's a problem there. Because when you spend time in social media, you start taking on the social issues of the world that God said, hey, none of this matters. This matters. This is what you should be concerned about. Loving me, bringing people to me, getting to heaven. Not, you know, what latest poll and survey is out there. Ten ways that I know that I'm a mugwump. That stuff's not important. Is it amusing? Sure. I'm sure it is. But do you know your Ten Commandments? Do you know what God is trying to teach us? And where God is trying to take us. God says if we want to choose life, there is only one choice. How many of you, are, are, how many of you would be so happy if you got married? And then after you got married, your, your spouse said, hey, you know what? I love you, but there's also somebody over here I'd like to see on the side. Are you okay with that? Everybody understand where I'm coming from now? God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to see, and we, we don't get a side chick when it comes to God. 
We don't get an extra family when it comes to God. There is one family. There is one man, one woman. That is what God created for marriage. There is the family of God. And this is who we are supposed to love. God. We don't get anybody else. We choose life by loving God. Secondly, we choose life by obeying God's voice. Verse 20, with continue, it continues and tells us that we can choose life by obeying God's voice. The Hebrew word for obey means to pay attention to or listen to. When King Saul, King Saul got into trouble, he took his own, he, he took matters into his own hands. He offered sacrifices which only the priests were supposed to offer. And Samuel spoke this over him. He said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey than sacrifice. Obedience is far better than sacrifice. And to heed the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. God has things in store for you. God has a plan for your life. God has a will for you. But when you reject his authority, those plans change for your life. What produces obedience? What would produce obedience? Number one, it's a fear of God. Not a fear that at any moment God can strike you dead like he did Ananias and Sapphira for lying in the temple. You know about that, right? They came to give and, 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 and they said, well, this is all we have to give when, when it really it wasn't. They had a lot more. And they just fell dead right there at the altar. I mean, they stopped the live stream and everything at that moment. Everybody backed away and said, uh, what's going on here, God? But a fear of God as far as a reverence, a respect, and awe of his power and his authority, that brings obedience. Number two, assurance that his way is the best way. I'll tell you this, when it comes to God, he doesn't say my way or the highway, but I'll tell you, his way is the best highway. It is the best. And number three, there are just amazing benefits that are attached to obedience. You know, right now, there's all these jobs that's out there that people aren't getting and different things, and the benefits are incredible. You know, you can go to a place and, and they'll say, hey, we'll pay you this amount an hour. And, and, and you know, if you're really into it and you're not just, you know, you need a short-term job, you want a long-term, you're going to ask about the benefits, right? What's the benefits here? Do I get insurance? Do I get days off? How's my vacation time? Do I get lunch break, you know? couple lunch, first lunch and second lunch, second breakfast, you know, do I get those, you know? And, and, and so there's benefits comes with serving God. Well, what's the benefits, Pastor? Well, let me tell you about it. Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the benefit package of God. Number one, he gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey. Acts chapter 5 says, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to all who obey him. Number two, God saves those who obey him. Hebrews tells us he became all. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. 
We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit to those who obey. And he saves those who obey. And number three, there is an abiding in Jesus' love. John tells us, well, he, John wrote the words that Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You'll stay in my love if you keep these commandments. When you marry your spouse, you say some words to each other. You make a vow to one another. You promise to love and to cherish for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health. As long as you both shall live. When you make these vows, you're committing to one another. To love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another. Jesus said, if you'll keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You'll stay in my love. But there are times that to obey, it can cause a struggle within us. When God says, come unto my house, come and, come and worship with the people of God. Oh, but God, it's a sunny day out. It's, it's warm and the lake is calling. Lord, I haven't had a day off in a long time. I, I just need some time for myself. I need, I need this, I just, I need a day, God. You understand, right? And, and you know, and I don't do this, okay? I don't play the guilt card as pastor. I've never done that. I've never tried to guilt any, anybody, unless I'm just messing with you. I don't try to guilt you into coming to church. But I always thought about this. If you ever went to Jesus and you said, you know, Lord, I just don't feel like, like I don't feel like coming to church today. I always wonder if he would respond and say, well, I didn't feel like dying on the cross for you that day, but I did anyway. But you know, he don't hold that over our heads. I've heard this term for, for several months called gaslighting. Anybody ever heard that term? Have you heard that term? It's more of a younger term younger generation, but I never really heard the definition and understood it until this week. And what it is, it's when you are getting into an argument with somebody and they bring up something that they did for you to make you feel bad about being mad at them. Did I say that right, Stephanie? Did I just, is, it about, is that about right? Okay, I want to make sure. There's times that you will sin against God and you will feel guilty and then you won't feel guilty. And then you'll try to reason and you'll try to explain it. And when you come to him for forgiveness, you know what he says? I forgive you. He doesn't go, oh, well, it's about time you get your act together. You know, I went and died on the cross for you and I had nails stuck in my hand, a crown of thorns on my head. They whipped my back. They made me carry my own cross. But I'm glad that you're, you came for free. He don't do that. I thank him that he don't do that. But it can cause a struggle with us to obey. It goes against our human nature to want to obey. I will tell you this. Every time growing up, my mother said, Austin, you need to go do this. You know what that made me want to do? Go do the exact opposite of what she told me I needed to go do. Early on in our marriage, like, you know, within the first couple of months, my wife would say, I need you to go do this. You need to go do this. And we struggled there for a minute. And I didn't understand why until my dad said, you are associating it with your mother growing up. And I said, oh, we are not doing that. I foundeth my wife, I foundeth a good thing, and I left my mother and father's house. 
We are not bringing my mother into this house. And what was happening was, is she'd say, you need to go get some milk. And I would sit there and I would think, I don't want to go get any milk now that you told me what I need to do. When people tell us, you need to do this, we say, no. It goes against human nature. It is contrary to our selfish tendencies. I don't want to go get the milk. I want to play my PlayStation. And if you're newly married, that is not a good response. Get up, go get the milk. And bring back a Milky Way because that's her favorite snack. You see, it's opposed. Obedience opposes our prideful nature. We all have a choice to make. And often that choice will bring problems. Back to our story about Martha and Andrew. Her heart was in turmoil. She loved her father, but she loved the young man, Andrew. Andrew arrived at the plantation. Her father refused to let him in the house. Martha pleaded with her father to see things differently, but he refused to change his mind. Martha looked out the window, saw her fiancé walking up to the front door. She looked over and saw the mean look on her father's face. And she had to choose to which she would cling. To which she would give her ultimate loyalty. You see, we are pulled in the direction of God. Or we're pulled away from Him. And we are forced to choose which way we will go. But God has given us freedom of choice. He's given us free will. He will not force His love upon you. He will not force a decision upon you. But let me tell you this. Satan can't force you to do it either. I remember, I remember growing up. I was a good kid growing up. Or at least I never got caught. But my brother, and y'all have heard him preach. He's been here. He's a great guy. But my brother just, he got into everything. He broke everything. Every time you turned around, Jordan was getting a whooping. And there was one day that, that something happened, and I think he was like six or seven years old. And, 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 and I, I remember what it was. We were wrestling. And he somehow got on, and I was gentle with him. I was much bigger than him. We were wrestling. Somehow he got me down, and he grabbed one of my fingers, and he just pulled back, and he broke my finger right here. Not the finger. He broke the tendons on the inside of my hand. The day after summer vacation started. My hand swelled up to the size of a softball. And it was the first year I was going to get to play softball on the church softball team. I couldn't fit my hand into a glove. So the next day my dad goes, we better take you to the hospital. Yeah, I went a whole day with this whole thing here. We go to the hospital, they do the x-ray, and sure enough, it's broke right here. The tendons on the inside have snapped. And they said, it's good that you brought it in now, because had you not, these tendons would have went all the way down here. It could have been much worse. So they get me in a cast, and I remember getting home, I was so mad, and that cast had hardened up. I just wanted to womp my brother with it. I'll show you a mug womp, you know. I wanted to womp him, and I said, why would you do this? And he said, the devil made me do it. And it's a, yeah, y'all laugh at my pain. All right, that's fine. 
it's funny to laugh on it, but Satan can't make you do anything. We have got to make a choice. God says to choose life, there's only one loyalty. We choose life by holding fast to God. Verse 20 continues, it says, we hold fast to him. The Hebrew word translated to hold fast means to cling to, to follow closely. It is the same Hebrew word used by God to describe a man cleaving to his wife, suggesting the permanence of marriage. And cleaving means that, that, that there's another story in the Bible where it talks about a man named Eleazar. And Eleazar went to go fight for his family and fight for his field that he had just planted and fight for his property against those that were coming. And the Bible says he clave to his sword. What that means is that Eleazar went to battle and he said, look, I'm going to come, I'm going to fight you, and I'm going I'm to take you out, I'm going to do whatever I can, but you are not pulling this sword out of my hands until you kill me. And at that point, you're going to have to break the fingers to get it out of my hand. Jesus says that we must cleave to our spouse. We must cleave to him. There's a permanence there that says, look, I'm not till death do us part, baby. We ain't getting out of this. We're going to go through the good times, the bad times, the storms, the, the, the valleys, the mountains. We're getting through it. Listen, when you go through life with God, it's not always going to be rosy days and sunlit valleys. When you became a Christian or, or in your walk, if you're looking at becoming a Christian and somebody promised you that it's all going to be easy street, it's wrong. Because easy money and easy street don't exist. It don't exist. It's going to be a tough walk because not only do you have God drawing you to him, then you have Satan pulling you back. We find it in the Old Testament where Ruth, I talked about this last week, declared her commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She said, I'm going to go where you go. I'm sticking by your side. Holding fast to God is a determination to cling to and hold tight and to abide faithfully in Him. It's dedication to serve Him and to serve only Him and to serve Him no matter what. It's deliberate shunning of anything that competes in any way with Him as the sovereign Lord of our life. Holding to God means letting go of the self-will, our self-seeking needs, our relationships that defile and corrupt us, the attitudes that crowd us, that, that crowd out Christ's likeness. We have a choice to make. Martha Watson had a choice to make. She could stay single as her father demanded, or she could follow her commitment to her fiancé. It couldn't be both. And as the knock sounded on the door, Martha threw her arms around her father's neck. She hugged him tightly. She kissed his cheek. She said, I will always love you. And then a tearful farewell came, and she ran into the waiting arms of her fiancé. They got married and lived a long and happy life together. And Andrew was sure of her love for him. Why was that? It was a high price that she paid to choose him. When Jesus was going to the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels to save him that day. But he made a choice of sacrifice for you and for me. And this is not spiritual, emotional blackmail. I'm telling you facts today. God made a sacrifice so that you don't have to die in your sin. You don't have to die on this earth 
and go to a place of, a place of fire where there's gnashing of teeth and, and, and just eternal torment and, and, and torture. You don't have to live there. But God said, I have gone away to prepare a place for you. He made a sacrifice for us. So what evidence is there for God to see that you love him? Is it that you'll obey him, that you'll cling to him no matter what you must give up? There's two ways open for us. There's life and there's death. And it demands the clear-cut decision. Your own free will is going to take you one way or the other. You will either choose right or you will choose wrong. But you can't have it both ways. You will align yourself with God or you will align yourself against Him. We cannot be a mugwump when it comes to God. God will not allow us to just sit on the fence. And when the time comes of His return, we tilt towards loving Him. He said, there cannot be darkness where there is light. We have to choose one or the other. As I close today, I share with you a story about a farmer who hired a man to work. The worker got there one day and the farmer said, your first job today will be to paint my barn. He said, it should take you about three days or so. But to the farmer's surprise, the worker finished the whole barn in one day, and it was done well. So the next day, the farmer gave the worker a job of cutting firewood. Since the supply of wood had gotten low, this job was going to be a big one, even bigger than painting the barn. So the farmer told the worker, he said, I figure this job should take you about four days. But yet, to the farmer's surprise, the worker completed the job in about a day and a half. The farmer said, huh, okay, the next job that I need you to do is going to be sorting a large pile of potatoes. I want you to arrange these potatoes into three piles, the seed potatoes, food for the hogs, and the potatoes that are good enough for me to take to the market. This is easy work, shouldn't take you very long. So the farmer went throughout his day working out in his field. Plowing, planting, cleaning up around his barn, different things here and there. The evening time came and he went around to check on his worker who he had not seen all day. And he goes in and the boy that was working for him had hardly done any kind of sorting. The farmer said, hey, what's the problem here? You finished the barn in a day, you finished cutting the wood in a day and a half. I, I figured you'd knock this out in just a couple of hours. The worker said, well, here's the problem, boss. I'm a hard worker, but I can't make decisions. Some of y'all understand this story tomorrow morning when you wake up. Do you find that you got a lot in common with the worker? Where it's hard to make decisions sometimes? I want to share some passages from the Bible with you. Psalms 32, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you. I will watch over you. Proverbs 3 in chapter 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Isaiah 30 and 21, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. 
And finally, James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Another version says, he won't resent your asking. Be sure that you expect him to answer. One of the things I love about our prayer group is we don't just throw a lot of prayer requests in the prayer group and just leave it as dumping prayer requests after prayer requests. We bring the victory reports too. We bring in the victory. And that's what this verse is saying. If you ask, expect it to be done. A doubtful mind is an unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We have a decision to make, ladies and gentlemen. We have a choice to make. We can't be mugwumps for Christ. We've got to follow Him. We've got to make a decision. And we've got to let God be that decision. I open this altar to you today. And if you're on the fence today about whether or not you want to serve God or serve the world, I'm opening this altar for you to come today and say, you know what, I've made a decision. If there's anybody here today who you have already decided and you want to come today and you want to say, hey, God, I'm just reaffirming my decision to follow you. This altar is open to you today. I invite you to come.